Welcome to Useful Idiots. I'm Matt Taibbi. And I'm Katie Halper. And we're back to our regular Useful Idiots. None of this experimentation with like a new yeah. live format on a different day. It just turned out to be just a pain in the ass for everybody. It didn't flow. Yeah. Audiences it was- hated it. They, hate, they, they especially hated me, but. Oh, that's nice to hear. I, I think they did. But I think it ultimately, collectively, they, poorly on on the whole show, on the whole show, and right. and, and you as well. Even though you, you probably had some positive, yeah, reaction. But overall, the balance of everything, was right? Yeah, probably. No, that was so, fun. I felt like I was kind of like a captive um, audience, or more like a captive person. A captive. I was. I was kidding. I felt. I felt kind of kidnapped. Cause I didn't want to, I didn't want to stand the way of your vision. <laughs> I didn't really know what it was. And Matt can be a little fourth wall thing. Matt can be a little, I don't want to say evasive or avoidant, but you got a lot going on. And so right. I didn't know, and I didn't want to undermine your idea, but I didn't really know what it was. And then yeah. Wilson and I were scared. It was fun. It was a bonding experience, I think for me and Wilson. Right. Yeah. I, it, it, once it, once it makes sense to me, I don't, I don't feel a need to discuss it with anybody yeah. else. So, um, uh, you know, I just assume everybody else is on board. And yeah. um, so that happens. So, yeah, uh, no, it was good. I think we went through it was a good I do think we, we all got closer. Well, no, we didn't. Not all of us. You, you and Wilson. You and probably Wilson. Got closer. <laughs> we did. Yeah, we did. Yeah. So, uh, all right. So now we're back to to the show, uh, which has a format which we're going to return to right now, yeah. beginning with the uh, the four food groups of news. Oh, oh! Just we have a great show this week. Oh yeah, we do. We're we're in the news cycle. We have a the author of a book that's like in the news cycle. Yeah, uh, out Ben Schreckinger. This this is the author of the book The Bidens that is right. like a little bit controversial and it's like stirring shit up right now. And oh, I see what you're saying. Right? So, yeah. So we're, we're we've got somebody. It's not somebody who wrote a book like nine months ago, ages ago. Right. It's a book that's you know pissing people off right now as we speak yeah mm-hmm. libs mm-hmm. are, are he, libs heads liberal heads are exploding a la scanners as we speak yeah not even just them though some other some other folks are oh taking like the what? task in that book uh well it's not terribly kind to others right <laughs> there, there's, some, there's some pretty there's some pretty weird details about tucker carlson in that book uh among other things yes you're right uh, but, but liberals uh, are not used to having this stuff get any remotely mainstream coverage, I guess. That's, that's true. Right. Yes. Yes. That's that. It's, it's verboten. So yeah. he, he he broke the un, unwritten law. Uh, so we're going to have that author, Ben Schreckinger, on to talk about the Bidens. But anyway, let's let's go to uh, the four food groups of news, um, which begins with Democrats suck. And this is kind of funny. This is just a funny story. So, uh, Wilson, could we see... Uh, the Daily Mail headline, children in NASA space video with Kamala Harris are actors. Kids in clip produced by Canada-based Sinking Ship Entertainment had to audition for the part despite being, being presented as normal. Grinning school-aged children who, t- who took part in a NASA YouTube video about space exploration with Kamala Harris have been revealed to be child actors. The Get Curious with Vice President Harris video was filmed in August and tweeted out by the vice president on October 7th to celebrate World Space Week. It appeared to viewers that the children she was with were all normal kids. Uh, However, it has now been revealed that they are paid actors who auditioned by sending in a monologue and three questions they would ask a world leader. 
Critics of Harris have leapt on the video with mockery compounded by the revelation that it was produced by a Canadian company called Sinking Ship Entertainment. That is pretty bad. Yeah. Like if you're going to, if you're a, you're a politician and you're, you're going to choose kids out of a, from, from a, like a child actor shop or, you know. It better Probably. be an all-American and be called something like Kick-Ass Productions or something. Right, yeah, Kick-Ass Kids Productions. Yeah. Like, None you of know, the sinking ship. Yeah, sinking it. sinking ship productions is, is is not good. So, anyways, let's 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 take a listen to this video where, where Kamal Harris talks about space with kids. Where's the library? Maybe it's down here. Guys, there it is. Whoa! Oh my gosh! Wow, guys! Wow! Whoa! Oh check gosh. this out. There's so many books. This place is huge. Mm-hmm. Let's start looking. Look at that. I love how they're ethnically representative too. Yeah, it's true. It's very diverse. Whoa. Is that like a necklace or something? Some magnifying glass, I think. Or a lens. Here's another one. We found two lenses. Kind of has some Goonies energy to it. Your next challenge bit. is to find and meet the head of the Space Council. I'll give you a hint. She actually lives at the Naval Observatory. I wonder who the head of the Space Council is. Are you kidding oh, me? The head of the Space Council? Oh my, oh my God. President. Kamala Harris is the Vice President of the United States, but she's also the President of the Senate and the head of the Space Council. Well, welcome, you guys. Thank you so much. Well, you. And she's had five okay, drinks so, this morning. So I may not always be fast to take my parents' advice, but what is the best advice your parents have given you that perhaps you can share with us today? You know, one of the most important pieces of advice that I can offer you guys, and I want you to really remember this. She really Never let anybody upset. tell you who you are. You tell them who you are. Never let anybody suggest to you that you are what they think you should She's be. She's woman at you the tell bar. Them who you are and who you know. She is. You, you mean like the slightly you. tipsy woman at the bar? Yeah. Who you Got just, that? who you yes, like start yeah. talking right. with is giving you all I these life lessons now. <laughs> right. Right. So what is the most surprising thing you found about being vice president? There have been a lot of things because I've never been vice president before. So there are, <laughs> yeah. there are, are many new things, but I'll tell you one of the things that I'm really excited about and one of the reasons for our visit and the time we're going to spend time together today is the Space Council. My mom hmm. was a scientist, so she would take us to the lab with her, like on the weekends and after school, because she had to work long hours. And I just love the idea of exploring the unknown. Hmm. And then there's other things that we just haven't figured out or discovered yet. To think about so much that's out there that we still have to learn. Like, I love that. I love that. And so I'm very excited about the Space Council. We're going to learn so much um, as we increasingly, I think, are curious and interested in the potential for the discoveries and the work we can do in space. So that's one of the things I'm most excited about. So that I've run out of lines. You guys are going to see. You're going to literally see the craters on the moon with your own oh, eyes. Oh my with your oh my own goodness. eyes. I'm telling you, it is going to be your own eyes. It was so a that's debate. one of the things we can do here, too. So that's Which stop since is she on, though? You would know this better than me, Matt. I'm going to go with uh, just clonazepam and maybe some okay. edibles, don't you think? Okay, sure. Yeah, I guess. Because like with bar lessons of life, with bar ladies life lessons. 
Right. Yeah. Like you wouldn't want to, you wouldn't want to think that there is like a benzodiazepine with the alcohol going on there. Cause that's, right. that's sort of a, that's a bad mix, yeah. but she does have that kind of like yes. l- l- lurching sort yeah. of gel- gelatinous thing going yeah, on. Yeah, she does. That, people who weren't I'm, watching. Yeah. Uh, she was a little slumpy side to side. Uh, she we got to do, do, play this at like 1.5 speed. To see what approximate what she would what she that well, probably that was probably sped up actually right now right. we know that you know sinking ship productions had a hand in this operation in this right. in this production they probably did change the speed yeah because she she does do that on the on the campaign trail like she'll she'll she has this thing where she kind of slumps yes, she does and and puts then, her hand on her hip and she puts her hands on her hips almost like she's trying to like crank herself back up because the the her vertebrae are are right squishing yeah. yeah so she's trying to like stretch them back out and um, she needs to be agile and and like mobile because she may have to either catch biden falling over because she always looks like she's leaning forwards when he's talking catch him or or trip him something or or like she brought there's probably like a kill order like yeah right you know if he's about to say you know, something really bad and, yeah. and forbidden. Maybe something about Hunter. <laughs> right. Yeah. Oh, well, we I mean, can get to that, that later. Good. Yeah. Yeah. Today's theme. Yeah. Those kids are obvious actors, right? I mean, when I saw the clip, I don't remember which part I saw. It was just her talking. But now that you presented it, I know that they're actors, but I'm pretty sure I would have been able to tell that they were actors. I think it was the second question where, where the second question about advice. Yeah. That gave it away. Yeah, it was just it was delivered with a little bit too much. Um, I, you know, I, I practiced this 40 right. times last night. Energy. So what is the most surprising thing you found about being vice president? I thought what, what gave it away was actually they're going on that like treasure hunt. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. Some magnifying glass, I think. Or a lens. Here's another one. Yeah, that that was I think gave it away. But I don't know because I'm biased. So I never because I know the truth. So I'll never know. It, it, I mean, it's, it's very funny. Also, the they kind thing. of throw act, child actors under the bus. They said that the people thought they were normal. But that's fair because child actors are very weird. They, well, they could be normal, but probably, I mean, they're probably, probably all. Uh, how many of those kids do you think are, are, uh, will later have a scandal? Oh, that's a good question. You mean it'll be like the like um, different strokes, the different stroke show phenomenon? Yeah, like something, all of them something like caught shoplifting or right. you know cannibalism or you know space uh, on space cruising without a license right yeah she's the head of the space what wait is that every vice president is that space council i don't know yeah. i mean this this those executive branch functions are kind of doled out to people i'm not sure yeah. how whether how ceremonial that is have that hunter should be in charge of that one yeah, or they should give somebody like just funny that title, like right. Well, I guess you can't give it to William Shatner since he's Canadian. Oh yeah, we can't. But look at uh, what they did. They gave this like job. Chris they Pine. Out- they outsourced it to a Canadian production company. So right. But you're right. right. We are talking about government, not Leonard Nimoy. Is he still alive? I think we lost him. Did we? I think so. Wilson, check check and see if Leonard Nimoy is still Which alive. Which doesn't mean he can't have it. It's an honorary title. He can't. Doesn't mean he can't get it posthumously. You could have hologram Leonard Nimoy doing yeah. it. Yeah, died. Be all f- he died, died right? when? 2015. 
Jesus. Wow. Matt's still in denial about you it. You can get George Takai. George Takai would be a good one. <laughs> He's on hero. Twitter a lot. Yeah. He's so annoying on Twitter. Although so, I, we could see, we'd still have him on. I wanted, I never saw his play about internment. I never knew about that. Oh, yeah. Kamala, like her shtick is like, look, she, she could, she could easily end up being the candidate in a couple of years. Yeah. Didn't yeah. you, couldn't you see that, that she was just done with the whole thing? Like yeah. after that one line, but they yeah. were still there. The kids were still there, you know? Yeah. She wanted to open it. She closed her eyes, wanted to open them and have them be gone. <laughs> Right, or just or just like reduce the little smoldering black yeah, spots, exactly. right? Yeah. You know, okay, all right. Uh, now, now I'm going to go back to doing whatever it is that yeah. I was doing, which you know I think we yeah. can speculate about that. But. It also had a spoken word energy to it in the spoken word poetry. Of, yeah, spoken word poetry. Yeah. Well, remember also speaking of you know recreational drugs, she famously on the on the morning um, on the Breakfast Club said when asked about, you know, smoking pot, was like, I'm Jamaican. My family's Jamaican, which angered her father. It's interesting. She mentioned her mom was a scientist. She left out. My father was a Marxist economist. Right. Yes. I didn't make the cut. I guess, no. to be fair, not quite as relevant to space travel. Yeah, isn't that the same whatever. interview where she talked about listening to an album that hadn't been out yet? OK, so this is a tweet that Wilson just pulled up. Kamala Harris claims to have smoked pot in college while listening to Tupac and Snoop. Tupac's first album came out in 1991. Snoop's first album came out in 93. Kamala Harris graduated college in 1986. Okay, so that that's what you were you were you were right, mm-hmm. Matt. Don't doubt yourself. It, it's it's interesting because like if you watch if you watch Biden recently, he's losing it. It feels like to me they got some pretty heavy decisions they're going to be making in about yeah. a year. You know. I think Trump could beat her. Her, yeah. Craziness. Absolute craziness. Anyway, what do we have for Republicans suck? Okay, so for Republicans suck, um, do you want to see like an old school Republican suck, like a cultural war Republican suck? Or do you want to see a funny moment in the Congress Republican suck? Let's go for funny moment in the Congress. Okay, so the House has passed a short term debt limit hike, pushing high stakes deadline to December. As is expected, there were some, you know, high emotions. Republicans are very upset about this. So uh, let's watch this response from a, Repu- a Texas Republican, Jody, Jody Arrington. Yeah. What this is, what costume party I've arrived at here in Washington, but Halloween has come early here because nothing on this rule bill says debt limit. In, in, in this rule, I mean, I'll lend him my and glasses. Jim McGovern. In the, in the title. Democrat uh, from Massachusetts. The public debt limit. I mean, I don't know how much clearer it could be. It's in the title. Did you not read the rule? I mean, honestly, you know, and, you know, so this is like a zinger back and forth zingers. Jim McGovern is a real like one liner master. Oh, is he? Uh, yeah, yeah he, he he was on the rules committee for a long time. So this is like his whole thing for years was just jumping down people's throats with catching them, you know, saying things that were wrong because people. Yeah. That's a long story. But anyway, go ahead. So he. So, well, what's interesting is watch this again. The, it's it's short. So I think we can watch it again. The Jody Arrington part. He. He delivers it like it's Shakespeare, like he fumbles. But listen to this right. line. What this is, what costume party I've arrived at here in Washington, but Halloween has come early here because nothing on this rule bill says debt limit. Okay, so the own is that it does, right? The rule bill does indeed say debt limit, like in the title, which is what McGovern points out. But I just think it's such a loser line for Arrington, uh, what costume party have I come to? I guess Halloween has come early. It's like he's trying to say it's a nightmare. I don't get what what, what 
it's haunted. What's what's his what's the joke there? Yeah, I mean, I think he whoever is writing his material was going for something like Halloween has come early because like everything is upside down or right. They, they, there was some other thing that they right. had to like. But they, he dropped that line. Yeah. You know, it's it's a little bit like I think, you know, if they were being better about it, they would they should have done something like. You know, I feel like Alice has fallen down the rabbit hole or yeah. something like that, right? Like that's that's what that would have been simpler, you know? Yeah, that uh, was a stretch. Do you think he he do you think he improvised it like in real time? No, I think I think the most most members of Congress have a, a an aide who tells them. Right. Well, that, well, it depends. Some some of them some of them like to be extemporaneous. From the hip. Yeah. From the hip, yeah. But most well, most of them are like fourth rate lawyers who don't like to. This guy should be fired. His aide should be fired. What yeah, costume I'm not seeing the party Halloween. is this? <laughs> yeah, what? What? It's like you could be at a costume party and they could still correctly write or the the debt limit yeah. on the yeah on the page, you right? Know? With, and yeah, and it turns out it that they did. It yeah, it doesn't matter what what costume you're wearing, like whether you write something or not on on the bill. Maybe there is he like an evangelical like who thinks that that Halloween is is like a sin to to celebrate. Yeah, maybe I don't I don't, no, I don't think so. I think he's really going he's really going for something like this is so surreal. I mean, it feels like I'm at a Halloween costume party already. Like maybe that's what they were going for. Like it's a fraud thing. Like people are yeah. No, I don't it's, know. it's just it's just surreal. It's just it's just spooky or or surreal or something. You know. Right. But it's not spooky. It's just. Yeah, yeah, it's such a bad. It's like really, really bad. You, if you want to, Jody, if you want to workshop your your jokes with us, feel free because that's just that was hard, horrid. Yeah, yeah, horrid as people outside of New York would say. I guess. Do we say horrid or horrid? I say horrid. I I, I think I'd probably say horrid. How do you say O R A N G E? Orange. Oh, you say it like me. Orange, not orange. Not orange, no. And then the state where DeSantis is governor. Florida. Oh, yeah. You say it like me too. Florida, not Florida. I think it's Florida, though. It is. Yeah. Although but, so many of my people have have uh, con- conquered that land and they definitely say Florida. Not not many of my my people are down there. Um, A-hops. They, yeah, yeah. The I-hops. I-hops. I can never get it. <laughs> I can't either. No. Uh, all right. So, OK, so that was Republican suck. That does kind of suck. Um, we would probably have time for the other one. What what happened in the other one? So the other Republican one is kind of an old school one. It's a it's a. So do you know that I guess DC Comics put out a bisexual Superman? Mm. Does that mean Superman is bisexual or it's a new character? First of all, who would want to have sex with Superman? It'd be dangerous, wouldn't it? Why? Because he turned into Clark Kent during it. I just feel like he. Well, anyway, go ahead. Yeah. So uh, bisexual Superman came out, no pun intended, was put out, was outed by uh, DC Comics. And so Laura Ingram and her guest uh, had something to say about this. Superman uh, bisexual DC comic book uh, toy that was announced today. Finally, a yeah, place well, look, nowhere to go. Well, that that comes. That comes after a gay Aquaman, a bisexual boy. Well, Aquaman Robin, was always gay. And a gender fluid Loki. Call I mean, me when they really? have a gender stable aisle with superheroes whose sexualities we know nothing about. Why are they sexualizing superheroes? You know, I was a Batman and a Superman, Spider-Man kid. I loved those heroes. We just wanted them to get the bad guys, not a venereal disease. Anyway, leave our comic book heroes alone, Laura. We don't want to hear any more about <laughs> what they game. do. 
So that that was too much for Laura. If you see her expression right when he makes his I guess the common thread here is bad jokes. But he says we just want them to get the bad guys, not venereal diseases, which is like, you know, operates on a couple of levels. But look at her. If we could just look at her expression, it's rare that you see her kind of find something to be problematic, let's say. We just wanted them to get the bad guys, not a venereal disease. Anyway, leave our comic book heroes alone, Laura. We don't. Do you see her? She looked kind of possessed. This is right, right, right down the middle of the plate for her, though. This is like her favorite kind of topic. I know. That's why I was surprised that she looked so scandalized by it. But like you know, like with, with a lot of those superheroes, there was always sort of an implied thing about yeah. their ambiguity, you know, sexual ambiguity. Like I always, I think I always thought Aquaman was gay. Huh. Like you, you never saw Aquaman with a with a with a woman. There you go. You, you always saw him kind of like you know looking longingly at a fish. Right. You no. Know? Well, that's a different thing. It is a different thing. Pescasexual. But that does uh, beg the whole the question. I mean, those terms suck because well, luckily, homosexual is not really used as much anymore because it has such a clinical kind of diagnostic um, connotation. There is something just social about it that the, the, I think one of the, the lucky things about one of the privileges of being straight is that you don't have to associate it with sexuality. It's just like the default. Kids watch The Flash and The Flash has romantic entanglements. Right. Like if you're if you're thinking about it, you know, as a straight person, you just don't even notice it because it's yeah. it's it seems so anodyne. But right. it's the absence of any other kind of plot like that that is noticeable, I guess. So, yeah, this is like outrage porn for Fox, yeah. though. I mean, like it's almost like their war on Christmas thing. And they just they just can't wait for the next gender fluid character to come out so that they can rail against it. Right. Yeah, exactly. All right. Well, look, there was a real isn't that weird, but I, I just I felt like the thing, the weird thing we should do. This doesn't quite fit into the category, but I thought I thought the Washington Post's conspiracy theory quiz oh. was was just weird enough in itself um, that it qualified it as, as isn't this weird? This is basically a test to see if you are a conspiracy theorist and some of the questions are are, are kind of hilarious. So will you fall into the conspiracy theory rabbit hole? Take our quiz and find out. So the the story itself reads, who believes in conspiracy theories? Statistically speaking, almost everyone. A team of researchers recently showed that several thousand Americans a list of 20 common conspiracy theories and asked if they believed them. They, these included false conspiracies about the JFK assassination, 5G cellular wireless technology, Barack Obama's birth certificate, COVID-19, and climate change. The result, nine in 10 Americans believed in at least one conspiracy theory. So then they go on and they give you six questions to test whether you're one of these people who believes in a conspiracy theory. Now, the first one is just awesome. Uh, let's get started. Which of the Which of the statements below is true? Number one. Jeffrey Epstein, the billionaire accused of running an elite sex trafficking ring, was murdered to cover up the activities of his criminal network. Number two, President John F. Kennedy was killed by a conspiracy rather than by a lone gunman. Three, the FBI kept tabs on civil rights leaders such as the Reverend Martin Luther King Jr. attempting to find compromising information and damage his reputation. Four, regardless who is of, of who is officially in charge of the government and other organizations, there's a single group of people who secretly control events and rule the world together. Now, using three. So, but yeah, use, I think one is true, too. Yeah, exactly. So, and it's two. Like, 
maybe two, right? Maybe. Yeah. So, so, uh, you know, we've all, we've all played, um, trivial pursuit, right? We've all taken the yeah. SATs. Everybody knows that there's a difference between answering the question that, you know, the test takers think is the right, right answer and, and answering the question that you think is the right answer. Right. But, uh, just, just for, sh for shits and giggles, uh, if we could click on number one, Jeffrey Epstein, uh, wrong. wrong and so okay the the and then they tell you of course that the answer is is the mlk thing uh but the, the answer is wrong new york city's chief medical examiner concluded that epstein killed himself and there's little credible evidence of an alternative explanations uh still half of americans think there's more to the story uh the other conspiracy theories are popular too four in ten americans believe in conspiracy in a conspiracy theory about jfk's death now i'm sorry the the Epstein thing, you know, this is like the guy, this is like the prison, the most watched prisoner in the American penal system, uh, just sort of magically strangles himself, breaks his own hyoid bone. There's no uh, footage. For some and reason. there's no yeah. footage. And like, there's like a million and other anomalies and, um, you know, and there's no evidence that he was suicidal or any of those things, right? The, the idea that that's unreasonable, um, is, com is completely like in other words this test makes you believe more in conspiracy theories right yeah because like now you're now you're now seeing... the washington post is part of, right because now you're seeing that the way that these things are supposedly debunked are not really debunked right yeah exactly the next one is whatever it's kind of like you know there's, there's sort of a strong partisan element to this test so like you know, you see you see a lot of stuff there that just sort of. Well, this is, is a dumb is, one because they they ask you. So partisanship plays a, a role in what people believe. Both Republicans and Democrats are prone to believe conspiracy theories and make the other party look bad. Can you pick the true statement or will you be blinded by party loyalty? Republicans cheated their way to win 2000, 2004, 2016 presidential elections. Hillary Clinton conspired to provide Russia with nuclear materials during the Ronald Reagan presidency. Government officials secretly and illegally sold weapons to Iran and used the money to fund Nicaraguan revolutionaries. Whoa. Okay. Barack Obama faked his citizenship to become president. So I'm assuming it's three that they're going to say. Yeah, I think so. So let's click on three and then I'll talk about. <clears throat> okay. So true. Uh, in the Iran-Contra affair, Reagan administration officials engaged in real conspiracy. Several were pardoned after George H.W. Bush, Reagan's vice president, became president. The three other statements are conspiracy theories. Okay, so, but here's the thing. That was so dumb because all of those are recent except for the Iran-Contra affair, which again, if I'm a conspiracy theorist, I'm like, oh, look at the Washington Post covering up things that are more recent and only only going, touching conspiracies from a while ago that are therefore safe. But also, I don't, they weren't revolutionaries. The Contras were not revolutionaries. What did, were, I mean? They were, they were trying to overthrow terrorists. They were terrorists. Yeah, I guess I so. Mean, they, I mean, both, like, to be to be fair, obviously, my sympathies are going to lie with not the Contras, but, like, they did say that both, you know, most human rights organizations said that both the Contras and the Sandinistas used violence and terror, but with the Contras, it was the default mode. No, I'm just, I'm just saying that I think technically revolutionaries might not be incorrect because they were trying to revolt they were they were trying to overthrow yeah. the government so but what do we but i think in a different yeah but we don't really i mean that's an interesting question when are they when are people revolutionaries versus 
Because that's also another thing. It's like, when is it a coup versus a revolution? I think you just have a positive connotation with revolutionaries, where and right. whereas I think there's a clinical meaning of yeah, the term. but I think there's a whitewashing, cocaine washing. Right. Exactly. Look, there's lots of interesting stuff here. We should, but we should just skip down to number five and number six because right. those 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 two are are really interesting. Number five. Let's try another one. Which of the three statements below is true? Number one. The U.S. government knew hundreds of black men in Alabama had syphilis, but told them they had, quote, bad blood and withheld treatment as part of a medical experiment. Two, President Donald Trump faked having COVID-19 in order to help his chances at re-election. Three, Donald Trump colluded Whoa. with Russians to steal the presidency in 2016. Whoa. So so click on that one. This is I the mean, Washington Post, for folks. Yeah, wow. I mean, it's Tuskegee, obviously, is the first one. Of course, that's the right but, answer. But, 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 but I'm surprised that Washington, that means the Washington Post. Like hundreds I mean, of stories that they wrote yeah. are, 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 are now are now have just been invalidated by this little this little feature. Weird. It's, wrong Trump. So if you click on the Donald Trump one, it says wrong. Trump won the 2016 election fairly. Trump benefited from Russian interference, but Robert S. Mueller, the third nonpartisan report, didn't find evidence that he coordinated with the Russian government. Take that, um, Michael Isakoff, slash every writer at. I mean, I just bring him up because uh, we we played we released a debate between him and Aaron Mate for our Substack only episode this week where they really kind of went at it while trying to not go at it. It was kind of funny. Right. Um, but Washington, I mean, how, yeah, how many Washington Post stories have violated? You should do a visual of that, of I mean, their headlines that violate that actual finding. Because yeah. then, yeah, no, they just ahead. diagnose uh, themselves as conspiracy theorists. Wilson, could we see, uh, just for an, for an example, Jenner, as it turns out, there really wow. was collision between the Trump campaign and Russia. So, and so who wrote um, that? Who wrote that, that was, who do you think wrote it? Jennifer Rubin, was it? Right, of course. Yeah, yeah. of course. Right turn. So Jennifer Rubin, you are a, but I'm bum bum. Conspiracy, conspiracy theorist. Uh, Manifer, we could go on way, and on. Looking terrible with dyed hair. One of the right. great things that happened to him when he went to jail was he was allowed to let his natural gray come through. Yeah, you you really got to just go with that. You know? Yeah, it looks so much better. Men should absolutely never dye their hair. Right. Uh, so that's weird, right? I mean, I think it would be funny to do a collage of all the yeah. the um, conspiracy theory articles in the Washington Post. Yeah, it would be. Is there uh, another one that you wanted us to do? Five and six? Yeah, said, number six. There? So this one, this one is the best. And I, I, I actually tweeted about this. The last one, conspiracy theories often help powerful people, sometimes by putting other powerful people in the crosshairs or by playing on prejudices. Which of these statements is correct? Number one, a powerful family, the Rothschilds, uh, through their wealth, controls governments, wars, and many countries' economies. Number two, there is a deep state embedded in the government that operates in secret and without oversight. Number three, fossil fuel companies like Exxon knew about climate change for decades, but spread misinformation about the issue to deflect blame and influence environmental policies. Obviously, we know that, that what they want you to click is three, but number two is yeah is hilarious. Uh, and uh, you know, I, I tweeted about this. The whole the whole notion that they operate in secret. That there's a deep state that operates in secret uh, and without oversight. Uh, it, it goes against the post zone again against their own reporting. Like you know, they they did they did reporting about the the fact that they have a black budget. In other words, that they're, they're secret budgeting. That they there's a lack of oversight about things like the NSA surveillance program. Uh, that they've lied to Congress. 
that they have the ability. I mean, you know, you can go yeah. on on and on down the list that they have the ability to change figures in the budget to to make it appear that money that's gone to them has actually gone to some other program. It's so cynical because this is what so many people do is they take something over the top and not true, like they're like or the, a term that's that's often used without backup, like deep state. What does that mean exactly? And it's often used by people who describe things that aren't true, but they use that. They weaponize that to suggest that the thing that does happen, which is things without oversight or transparency, don't happen. It's yeah, very and- Clintonian. I'm I'm pretty sure deep state was actually a, a a term that was used pretty frequently on in sort of mainstream liberal left uh, media before the Trump era. Yeah. Like and then sort of magically it became this this bad word, this word conspiratorial word. People. Yeah. Right. Yeah. This this test to me it's hilarious because this is what makes people conspiracy theorists. You know, they, yeah. they they read the Washington Post, they see this stuff and they say, well, wait a minute, they're 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 really going to try to claim that the CIA, NSA and, you know, a million other agencies don't operate in secret. Yeah. Well, it's also interesting because they earlier for, for and without own, oversight. Right. I mean, per their own earlier question, but people do this a lot with the. It's like it's a, a great way to get out of jail free card. They talk about Hoover's corruption, J. Edgar Hoover, as if that's, you know, that was obviously a lack of oversight, what he did with MLK, but that was just his FBI. I mean, the story goes that that was like limited to him or limited to a certain time period. Right. And then, of course, if you if you dig down there, there are people who will disbelieve certain things. Right. They'll say, oh, well, there was no COINTELPRO. There was no that was no that requires conspiracy theory doesn't it? I mean, or like what, crazy. No, um, I think, I think that's established that that happened, you know? No, I'm saying it's, it's, it requires like a, a stunning credulity to think that there was no Comintel pro. Right. Right. Yeah, exactly. Naivete, yeah. Just but, in the other direction. But anyway, I, I was like laughing at this. Yeah. This, was, this was like literally funny. Yeah. Um, and, and it, it's, it's funny also because like what what's the mindset of the person who puts together a a thing like this? What are they trying to what are they trying They're to say? They're whistleblowers. They're whistleblowers of their <laughs> own agency. They're blowing the whistle on the Washington Post's own. You, you think they're like hostages who are trying to blink in Morse code, like like uh you know the, the location of where they're being held? Maybe like, like maybe they just uh, had enough of, of the Washington Post's own conspiracy theories. That's about Russia really people. weird. That thing about the uh, you know Trump colluded with the Russians wrong yeah. like that's well, so funny you know that was hilarious yeah. um, okay so uh, so what do we got for isn't that terrible oh for so it, for isn't that terrible if we could just go to the article Wilson it's kind of heartbreaking it's a hap- okay elk with car tire stuck around its neck for two years is free at last wildlife officials in Colorado successfully remove obstruction from bull elk at fourth attempt this week. So uh, wildlife officials reading from The Guardian in Colorado say an elusive elk that wandered the hills with a car tie around his neck for at least two years has at last been freed. The four and a half year old, uh, 270 kilogram or 600 pound bull elk was spotted near Pine Junction, southwest of Denver on Saturday evening and tranquilized. According to Colorado Parks and Wildlife, it was the fourth attempt wildlife officers had made in the past week to try to capture and help him. 
Officers with the agency had to cut off the elk's five point antlers to remove the object because they couldn't slice through the steel in the bead of the tire. Really? Yeah, I know. We would have preferred to cut the tire and leave the antlers for his rutting activity. But this situation was dynamic and we had to just get the tire off in any possible way, Officer Scott Murdoch said. And then if you scroll down, you'll see CPW Northeast region tweets out um, the saga of the bull elk with the tire around its neck is over. Thanks to the residents just south of Pine Junction on CR 126 for reporting its location. Wildlife officers were able to free out of the tire Saturday. So if you see the if you press play, it's kind of a montage of them. It's really is terrible. I mean, you see them. They covered his face, which is nice. And there you see it cutting the antlers off and then finally getting. So it's a kind of bittersweet. But are they going to grow back? I don't know. Who the hell put that there? We don't know that anybody put it there. You think he got in there? I mean, but I guess obviously it was two years ago and he was smaller, right? I mean, a bull elk in heat will will try to have sex with just about anything. So I I could imagine like it mm. happened during that interesting way of doing it though. No, it wouldn't well, be it's bittersweet, but I feel bad. It's foreplay. Maybe, I guess. Yeah. Foreplay gone awry. Yeah. I feel bad because maybe he wanted, maybe he preferred having the, the tire on his neck to losing his antlers. That's true. They, they didn't ask. Yeah. I really do want to know, do antlers grow back? Maybe he, maybe he thought he was awesome. Yeah, exactly. He had like special honor, like celebratory ritualistic jewelry. Right. Maybe that's why he put on the first place. Maybe someone put it on him, a fellow elk to show he was the king or something. Right. Yeah, exactly. Like it gave him status. Couldn't they have melted the thing? I guess that's dangerous. It was a dynamic situation, as they said. They probably could have set it on fire, but I think that would oh, have no, actually that burned the elk's head off. No, not okay. Not okay. What do they call that? The the what what's that thing that they do they, they do when they put fill a, a tire with uh, fuel oh. and put it around oh, the that guys? They did in South Africa. Well, they uh, do it some, everywhere. Yeah, well, they but especially I think after Mandela. Congo uh, and what is it called? A something necklace. Neck, uh, Bolivian necktie, or no, that's the one where they no, pull your, your neck yeah. through your throat, or your tongue uh, through your throat, right? Yeah. What is this called? Necklacing. I'm gonna go. I'm gonna guess that that elk probably wasn't happy about that situation. Then he probably woke up and was like, "What the fuck?" At least ask. Yeah, ask. Yeah. Not that they speak elk, but right. That's the problem, right? So that's uh, the four food groups for this week. So we have a great, uh, a great show coming up for you. Uh, we're going to talk to political correspondent and author Ben Schreckinger, and he's got a uh, an interesting and revelatory book out on our president and his family, mm-hmm. the dynastic Delaware crew, the Bidens. So uh, let's, without further ado, talk. Let's talk to Ben. Let's do it. Welcome, uh, Ben Schreckinger, uh, to the Useful Idiots podcast. Thanks for coming on. Thanks for having me. Glad to be here. So you've written a book that's, uh, I mean, it's kind of unique in, in the political landscape because it there are people on both sides who, who like it and people on both sides who are, who are um, 
irritated uh, that there's certain content even in it. Could you first tell us what prompted you to write the book? And then secondly, uh, did you think about that approach of kind of uh, being an equal opportunity offender as you were, as you were writing it? Yeah. Um, so this all started a little over two years ago when I had the idea of profiling Hunter Biden for Politico magazine. Um, and pretty quickly, that process went from like a general profile. This is a, an interesting figure who may play into the presidential campaign uh, to something that was more narrowly focused on his business dealings, as well as those of Joe Biden's younger brother, one of his two younger brothers, Jimmy Biden. Uh, Hunter's uncle. Hunter and Jimmy are sometimes business partners, sometimes they have their own ventures. Uh, and there were just a number of episodes going back to Joe's first term in the Senate in the early 70s, uh, where their business dealings were making the news, were the subjects of lawsuits. Uh, often they were they raised these questions of whether these relatives were getting favorable treatment, sweetheart deals, generous loans, uh, or were trading on the name, the Biden name. I thought I would write about this once. You know, it wasn't like the most fun story. It's digging through old newspaper clippings and legal filings, and it's a pretty contentious subject. But by the time I published that story, what I'd missed in the process was that there was a new lawsuit filed uh, in Tennessee, or at least unsealed in Tennessee, uh, where Jimmy Biden was being accused of all the same sorts of things uh, that were in this story, but in a much more recent healthcare venture down there by some firms that said they defrauded him and offered his brother's help. A lot of this, by the time Joe Biden won the presidency, was about trying to square what I was learning about the family's business dealings uh, with what I'd known about Joe Biden previously and this folksy image I'd had of him and his family. And so I just wanted to tell the story in full. Yeah, because you you tell it, it's like a family dynasty type of story. And Jim and Hunter are kind of peas in a pod. They're like profiteers and Bo and Joe are more on the political side. They have the, the cleaner image or they or maybe even in reality actually are less inclined uh, to, to be making money. So it ends up being like this, this pretty sprawling, difficult uh, family story. How long did it take to, to, to write and get a, get a handle on what was actually going on in the family? Well, it was it was quick for a book, especially a book of this scope. You know, I started writing right after Biden won the presidency, was wrapped up around late June. So like seven, eight months or so um, there had been, you know, close to a year and a half of reporting already at that point that I'd been doing for Politico because um, I kept doing stories after that first Biden Inc. magazine story. Uh, and as I put in the author's note, you know, this is not the end of the Biden story. This is not the Robert Caro, you know, treatment of Lane right. James Johnson. Um, a lot of these episodes are ambiguous. There's conflicting evidence. Um, so I'm expecting our understanding of a lot of these episodes, especially the more recent ones having to do with Hunter Biden to continue to evolve. And, and that's definitely a, a tricky and a treacherous thing to be doing, trying to write uh, a book length treatment of something as events are sort of still unfolding. But um, I wanted it to come out in a timely way. And I think it, I think that it has. What was the most uh, surprising thing that you uncovered or the thing that most changed your understanding of the Bidens? That's a great question. I don't think there's any real one thing. I will say that very, very early on in that first Biden Inc. story, um, it was 
writing about this hedge fund firm paradigm that Jimmy and Hunter acquired um, that was associated with the Unification Church, the Moonies, as, as they're known. The fact that they had gone into business with Alan Stanford's firm that, that was, and launched I, I, a fund with it. I, I was totally, sh- I had never heard that before. That's an amazing factoid that's in the book. Anyway, go ahead. Yeah. And even more, one thing I sort of realized later on as I was lining up, of, as I was researching the book and lining up what was going on with Joe during this period is uh, around the time they're getting into business with Alan Stanford, it's, it's as the financial crisis is unfolding and Joe Biden is literally calling out the hedge fund industry for cowboy capitalism, I think is the term that he used on the campaign trail. And the sort of split screen of that with his son and his brother going into the second largest, going to business with the second largest Ponzi schemer from that crisis. You know, Stanford's not as big as as Madoff, but he's the next biggest. It's like $8 billion fraud uh, is, I think, sort of striking. And, and in the process of reporting out the paradigm, the paradigm episode for the first time for that first Politico story, one of the first people I was able to reach was an executive, uh, the former chief compliance officer of the firm who's who's cited at length. And he said, you know, yeah, Jimmy Biden showed up on the first day and said, uh, don't worry about investments. We got people around the world who want to put money behind Joe Biden. Joe Biden was then the ranking member on Senate foreign relations. And, and the idea was, well, if you're a deep pocketed foreign interest, you can't give money legally to a Joe Biden senator presidential campaign, but you could invest in this firm. And by all appearances, that didn't end up working out. They don't seem to actually succeed in landing these sorts of investments. But that was striking to not have a deep understanding of the family's business dealings. And for one of the first people you reach to be an executive who says, oh, yeah, this is what happened. This is what Jimmy Biden said on the first day. It was like, wow. Isn't there, isn't there a quote in there like we're going to have 747s filled with cash ready for uh, to to invest like that? That was an that was an amazing quote. Yeah. And it's sort of, you know, what uh, early on at the outset of the reporting, it's like, what am I to make of this? Because this is not some random crank who's coming to me. It's not someone who's being shopped to me by, uh, you know, some political operative. This is let me look up who was at this firm 10 years ago, start calling the top executives, reaching out to them. And this is one of the first people I, I reached. And, you know, you'd be much more wary of that if someone were approaching you with that information. When you approach someone else and that's what they say, it's it puts you back on your, your back heels a little bit, I think has become less shocking, both over the course of reporting that story out, it made more sense to me and, and became far more plausible and understandable in the context of their other business dealings. Um, and then having reported out 10 or so other episodes since then, it's, you know, I, it's, it makes more sense. So the, one of the thing, one of the things that the book, uh, the, the line that's getting the most press from the book, and I'm just going to read, read from me here. This is about the infamous, <laughs> the thing that, that you call the laptop from hell, to, uh, and it's in that chapter. And what you write is, but other evidence points to the conclusion that the files in, in the cache which I obtained from supporters of Trump are at least largely genuine. Uh, and then you go on to list, you know, several reasons why, why you you've come to that conclusion. I was really impressed that you used the Swedish equivalent of the freedom of information law uh, yeah. to, to actually dig into that. Uh, I guess question one is, could you just quickly go through what, what the evidence is there? And then two, what the reaction was, because I, w- I would imagine you, you would have, 
dealt with some difficulty from uh, bookers, you know, maybe, or from, from your own publisher, uh, from other media figures? Like, did, did, did that cause you any problems? Well, it was definitely, uh, you know, a, a hot potato, this laptop, and has been, you know, from the day the New York Post first reported on it. The evidence, yeah, to go through what's in the book, you know, I spoke to somebody who had uh, some independent access for a time to Hunter Biden's emails, and they said, yes, this 10 held by H for the big guy email is something I recall seeing, and I recall that language specifically. Uh, and yes, I do recall this Burisma representative uh, sending an email thanking Hunter Biden for, for the opportunity to meet his father, which were the two, uh, the two emails that were at the center of the first two New York Post stories. And then I was able to confirm some ones that have not been at the center of, of big controversy, but are in, are in this cache. Uh, some of them, as you refer to, were Hunter Biden for a time uh, had an office at the complex on K Street in Washington that houses uh, the Swedish embassy. And so the Swedish government was essentially his landlord. Uh, and you can get that correspondence from the Swedish government under their, their equivalent of FOIA. Uh, and that matched emails in the cache. And then just in reporting Hunter Biden's activities in the six months or so, eight months or so before uh, his father announces his latest presidential bid. Uh, I talked to some people who were interacting with him during that time and confirmed, yes, I did engage in the correspondence that you're describing to me. Yes, I have a copy of this. And, you know, I could have spent all seven months really going through this laptop, uh, trying to confirm all sorts of interesting things in it. And it's it's a frustration of mine that um, I haven't had more of a chance to do that just by virtue of the fact that this book is about, you know, 50 plus years of the Biden family's history. Right. And so I'll look forward to if others are continue to do reporting on this and maybe I'll have a chance to dive dive back in. Um, but at least large parts of this are, are genuine. Did you ever hit anything that didn't pan out when you were looking through, through that stuff? I mean, I obviously there's stuff you can't confirm, but. I didn't, yeah, I didn't find anything where I got in touch with somebody and said, hey, is this real? And they said, no, I absolutely, you know, didn't have this. This must be a faked, uh, you know, this must be forged. It's it's definitely still possible that there is something in there. And it it uh, is a, you know, established technique of something like an intelligence service of very sophisticated actors to leak a lot of genuine material and try to subtly slip in something damning that's, that's not real, um, which is part of what makes it so difficult to report on something like this, um, which is, you can firm up, hey, this is at least mostly real, but any individual thing, uh, especially if it's, you know, if it, it would be damaging to somebody or something like that, uh, you want to be careful with. There is one potential inconsistency that I mentioned in the book with the story that's that's was initially offered for how these things became public, which is just that uh, John Paul McIsaac, this Delaware repair shop owner who is legally blind, uh, who has said that Hunter left these devices with him and contractually after 90 days of not picking them up, like relinquished ownership to him, giving him the right to give it to Rudy Giuliani. He says that happened in April of 2019 is when this transaction took place with Hunter Biden. Hunter, in his memoir, uh, describes going out to Los Angeles in March of 2019, and at least by his timeline, appears to stay out in Los Angeles, at least through May, when he ends up getting married to this woman who he's just met, uh, Melissa Cohen. And there is, in his calendars on the, on the laptop, there is a flight out 
to Los Angeles in March, the way he describes in his memoir. And I, I don't see a flight back to Delaware. I mean, there's all sorts of potential explanations for why that might be. And maybe he did go back to Delaware. Um, and unfortunately, you know, Hunter's not taking my calls to talk through it with me. So, you know, what we have right now is this on You might the be record. calling him at the wrong time. Like you should try calling at like 3.30 a.m., you know? Uh, I'm sorry. Go ahead. It's tough with the time difference. Yeah. How do you, how do you, how do you catch Hunter when he wants Tell to Tell him your name is Bicycles. <laughs> and so, you know, what we have is John Paul McIsaac's tale and Rudy Giuliani's tale uh, of how they got their hands on this material. And Hunter said, I don't remember if I dropped it at this Mac shop or not. I wasn't really keeping track of my uh, possessions at this time. And so if there is more to this story or another story, uh, we haven't heard it and, and it, it's not totally clear either way. And I think, it, you know, it is interesting if there is more to the story, that would be that would be important to know, but uh, maybe less important at this point than than just whether this material is genuine and what it means. That's interesting. And you, and you mentioned in the book that there was another lap. There's actually another laptop that the Trump administration briefly had, but gave it back to him. Right. That, that was the uh, after a raid. Yeah, he's up in uh, Newburyport, Massachusetts, which is a very lovely place, not too far from where I am right now, getting treatment of a sort from Keith Abloh, who is... Oh, bizarre. Yeah, famous from Fox Fox News. He's, he's a, I think, a psychiatrist or a psychologist yeah. um, who I think has lost or at least had his medical license suspended over, I think, allegations that he was seducing his patients. And then he gets raided by the DEA after Hunter spending time with him. Um, and they're also raiding a nearby CVS pharmacy. I haven't seen anything that's come of that since that's happened. But Hunter, uh, not keeping track of his possessions, left a laptop at that office and the DEA had it. And I understand, uh, concluded this has nothing to do with what we're investigating here. And then a lawyer for Hunter got it back. So that does sort of that episode just sort of does add to the plausibility uh, of what McIsaac is saying. This guy just left a laptop with me. He wasn't being careful and, uh, you know, it wouldn't be the only one. Yeah. When was the last time you left a laptop at, at, uh, at your, your shady, uh, physician's office? That's, that's a pretty weird, yeah. weird story. <laughs> he uh, was a psychiatrist, as you said. Um, so he, an MD, then he got his license. Uh, he, he gave it up basically because he was, uh, having inappropriate sexual relations with his patients. And the other weird thing about that is that Abloh, one of the things Abloh was best known for is he he implied that Joe Biden was drunk during yeah. the vice presidential debate with Paul Ryan and Joe Biden doesn't drink. Uh, right. So it's just it's just so weird. And, you know, uh, in the realm of psychoanalysis or psychiatry, the idea that this guy, you know, famously had bashed Hunter's father. Yeah. And he's a regular on Fox. Yeah, there's, there's also there's Former some other. Other weird, like uh, Fox Biden cross pollination. There is the is the Tucker Carlson stuff that's in the book. Uh, you, you reached out to Tucker. <laughs> it's it's funny. You reached out to him about the, the emails and the laptop. And can you talk about what what response you got? Uh, yeah, I could, I didn't get a yes or no answer from Tucker. I said, listen, I'm trying to see if these things are real or fake. And like, here's here's a. I think I sent just like a screenshot of the correspondence. Um, and it's it's one of them. There's a couple email chains, and one of them is Tucker thanking Hunter for writing uh, a younger relative uh, a letter to Georgetown University. And on you know Tucker 
didn't want to say yes or no or didn't say yes or no. He said, oh, I thought this was Russian propaganda. I don't want you to see you becoming a Kremlin stooge by reporting <laughs> on this. And I took that as his, you know, sarcastic screw you to, you know, anyone who was dismissing this as Russian disinformation. But, you know, and, and, and it's not like it's a, some big secret that, that Tucker and Hunter knew each other. It's something Tucker Carlson's talked about on air. Um, but in the context of a story about, you know, a family that is coming from, you know, not a lot of connections and is joining the American elite and what that means, I think it's especially interesting. The, the one, the bipartisan nature of these relationships that, that go on uh, when the television camera is not on. Um, and the fact that, you know, the biggest favor you can essentially do from someone in, in you know, America's elite subculture is write a letter to a, a college on behalf of a relative. And, and I think it's interesting to, to look at as well at the Rudy Giuliani, Joe Biden relationship yeah. sort of through the same lens, which is uh, years ago, Rudy had given Joe's niece, Missy Owens, an internship. And that's just the normal, you know, bipartisan favor mill that has been been the norm in this country for a long time and seems to be sort of fraying and getting much more vitriolic. You know, you see that with Giuliani goes from from giving Joe's niece uh, an internship to really devoting much of much of a presidential campaign to trying to tear down Joe's son. And obviously Tucker has, has done a lot of coverage of this laptop as well. And Joe Biden mocked Giuliani, right, for being the 9-11. And now a verb in 9-11. Yeah, one yeah. of the times in recent years where Joe Biden has gotten a lot of coverage for a line that landed the way he wanted it to, as right. opposed to the way he didn't want it to. A non-gaff. Yeah. yeah. Yeah, he didn't mention his being Italian or anything. It's pretty impressive. <laughs> Anyway, all right. Well, uh, Ben, thank you so much for coming on. Yeah, thank on. you so much. Great, great work in the book. Um, yeah, it's a great book. Everyone should read it. It's really good. Everyone should definitely journal. read it. Uh, I'm going to review it too on TK. So oh, cool. uh, so everybody should keep an eye out for that. And um, uh, good luck. And hopefully we can talk to you again sometime. And to hear the rest of the interview, please go to usefulidiots.substack.com. That was great. It was a, it's was- a really good book. It, it is a, it is a good book. It's full of stuff that is like surprising, and you know a lot of those little details, like about yeah, you'll you'll be reading it like what they they were in business with Alan Stanford, and they they were trying to yeah. resuscitate Drexel, like like what the f-? you know it would be a lot if this was a book about Trump, for instance. Oh yeah, you know, like those be- those details would seem more you know ho hum. Mm-hmm. Yes. Right. Right. But they, they'd be they, both ho hum and incriminating, but like ho humly incriminating. Right. You know, in, in this book, it, it it really stands out that there's just there's just a yeah. lot of a lot of stuff that um you know is is pretty pretty dicey uh, with this yeah. with this family. It's it's different from the Clintons. Like you know, the Bidens are clearly a very tightly knit right family. Right. Then they yeah, have the a Clintons, lot like, a lot totally, of history. Yeah. Right. Who did the Clinton? I mean, what Roger Clinton? Well, no, like okay, Hillary so Clinton's what, what she had one brother. Bill had one half stepbrother, half brother. Yeah, but Chelsea's it's not like an only a, child. Like the family thing with the Clintons starts with Bill and Hillary. In other words, right. like the whole and it's, and they have more like of a political family than a family yeah. family. The, the yeah. Bidens are like a you know they're like the Kennedys. They're like a dynastic yeah. right thing. And there's just a lot 
to sort through and it's not clear what we're dealing yeah. with you know yeah it's interesting his mom sounded like a interesting lady really into yeah. fighting yeah yeah definitely uh and advised him to uh she was the one who advised him to, to drop out of the race in yeah. 88 that was interesting um but you know ben, ben also i think he we should we should give him a lot of credit because uh in this day and age like 99 percent of books are there to be digested by one 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 audience or the other yeah right and you know i think i think the the, the fox news crowd initially uh latched onto this book because of the the stuff about the laptop and then when they read it they found it wasn't terribly complimentary about trump yeah. and then there was a lot of negative stuff in that direction so this is this is like reporting this is what it looks yeah. like it was it was uh, i kind of forgot what it was what right. it read felt like you know so I, um, yeah i really liked it because it was also it was personal but also very open like upfront with its lack of authority if that makes sense like not authority in terms of the research but what to be made of it and it's very open to we don't know all the answers to the the questions raised here and maybe we'll find out later. I, it was just a really good book. And it was it wasn't pretentious. You know, it wasn't Not like at all. Yeah. yeah. And, you know, like that humility that like there's a humility in there about like what we know and what we don't yeah. know. Like he, right. he, he's very old school, like, you know, the whole his whole treatment of the Hunter Biden Burisma thing, I think, is dead on because it's 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 very difficult to come to a conclusion. Yeah. Uh, what happened during the campaign cycle is all of all of the sort of mainstream reporters said, no, there's nothing there, right? Uh, with a few exceptions, that, you know, a couple of high profile people uh, at the New York Times tried to say a few things, but everybody basically said there's nothing there. And then there were people on the other side who are like, oh, clearly, right. you know, this guy was fired because they were trying to kill the case. And it's it, it's neither. It's, it's like, you, you can't, you know, an, an honest person digging into it would be yeah. like, I, I, what the fuck? I don't know. Right. right. There's that there's evidence going going both ways. And, and he that's what he does with this book, which I think is, is impressive. Yeah. So it's not like an, it's not ideologically driven to exonerate or incriminate. Right. Right. Which then I think actually makes it very effective in incriminating him. Well, it isn't. I mean, it is incriminating. I yeah. mean, the, the Hunter Biden stuff is like, it's bad. I mean, yeah. there's no way to. Yeah, really bad. God, I kept, it was so funny. Not funny, but it was like reading the book. It's like then he went to L.A. where he checked himself into rehab. Then he did this in Arizona where he checked himself into rehab, like just reminded this privilege that he has that so few people have. And of course, the people who were like condemned to jail by his father's crime bills. Well, right. And then, you know, he there like there's a scene in the book. Prison, yeah there's a scene in the book where he like is late on his mortgage payment because he's bought himself this this big 1.6 million dollar house and his business isn't working out and somebody catches him trying to take twenty one thousand dollars out of the business account at his company paradigm and he's just according to the book book said book says he's his response was i can't pay my mortgage right. what do you want me to do right and you know, there's there's obviously there's some question, you know, about whether 
some there's a d- denial like did that happen did it not happen but like let's just say that that story is true there was enough to at least report it that really speaks to a mindset of like i i have the right to do this yeah. because because of who i am you know um, yeah so i don't know but really good stuff yeah and uh good stuff. definitely recommend the it book kind of is endearing that part though i oh, feel like yeah i feel like maybe it's not it's uh, i mean is it obviously there's an entitlement there but i feel like maybe he just doesn't even get i don't know i guess it would depend on how he feels about other people doing that right yeah or other people like cutting corners because they can't pay the rent or they can't pay their mortgage something like that well i wonder if there was a you know uh, an employee at the uh, at paradigm yeah who who maybe cleaned the offices or something like that who suddenly yes. took twenty one thousand dollars out to pay you know right a couple of years of mortgage payments or something yeah <laughs> you know like he'd be like okay how, with it yeah if he, would he be fine with that you i kind of feel like maybe he would be like you never know right like he's probably an aa with that person so yeah exactly i mean he did have and the homeless woman lived with him bicycles right being a drug addict can 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 really be grounding because yeah it's a great equalizer it's a very divert like it's the ultimately diverse community like you know it's everybody so yeah uh anyway really good book uh great to have him on and um and we will see you again uh Monday, right? Yeah, Monday for if people don't know if you're just listening. So Mondays, we do something called Monday morning, M-O-R-M-O-U-R-N-I-N-G. Some people have been confused because they don't watch the show. So you can tune in on YouTube, uh, youtube.com slash useful idiots live 10 a.m. on Mondays where we cover the Sunday morning shows. So that's just like an additional thing that we do for you because we love you. Right. Uh, All right. We'll see you next week. Great. See you next week. Hello. Thank you so much for listening to and watching Useful Idiots. For full episodes and extended interviews, please subscribe at usefulidiots.substack.com. You can subscribe on YouTube at youtube.com slash usefulidiots for clips, live streams, and full episodes. Also, subscribe to us wherever you find your podcast. Follow us on Twitter at usefulidiotpod and use the hashtag usefulidiotspod. Join us Mondays at 10 a.m. for the Useful Idiots Monday Morning Show, where we discuss the Sunday morning news shows so you don't have to watch them. I'm Michael Toscano, hoping you'll join me on the First Light Podcast. We get to the heart of the event shaping our world as our correspondents check in and we talk with newsmakers and people who can take us behind the headlines. The First Light Podcast, wherever you get podcasts.